Blog Talk Radio. As of the 1st of October 2019, in South Australia, a new law was passed that allows a public servant to enter, remain, inspect, or use reasonable force to break into any premise, place, vehicle or vessel. This public servant can remove items from the premises to be used as evidence in future, and a warrant is not required if there is a suspicion, just a suspicion, that a vulnerable adult is at risk of abuse. Matters will then be directed to a court or tribunal that is not bound by the rules of evidence, can determine matters as it thinks fit, and can reach an outcome, just, on the balance of probabilities, not beyond, reasonable doubt. Victims often end up a ward of state. The public guardian and public trustee are often placed as the ultimate decision maker and take over all affairs. These laws are expected to be rolled out in other states next year. Are you scared yet? Good evening, everyone. That was the beautiful voice of Marty Oakley. She's about to have the 13-year anniversary of this podcast coming up next week, and I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to start uploading some of her older stuff. For those who don't know, our beautiful Marty did pass away April 1st. It's a little unexpected, and um, we miss her greatly, but we are carrying on her legacy. And we are so excited. We have tonight, we have Reverend Ralph on the line. Say hello, Reverend. Good evening, listeners worldwide. And we also have our most amazing guest. We have Radell Lewis on the line, and we are so excited to have him. We, Radell has his own podcast, and his podcast is a big deal. So we are so excited that he would come on to our podcast and hear about our issues. I listened to a few of Riddell's podcasts, and I want to say, Riddell, you really do tackle the real controversial topics. And it's um, purple. It's the purple. Wait, make me sound right. Purple Nation podcast, and it's basically purple because, like, this is what I'm guessing, red and blue, like Republican and Democrat, red and blue make purple. And so it's really looking at all the different issues from um, the Republican, the Democrat, and the independent side and just really coming up with solutions. So what we are excited that Riddell's audience is becoming uh, coming to us and that Riddell is coming to us and that hopefully when we explain what guardianship abuse is, they'll have some ideas to help us out. But also it's bringing awareness about what's going on to everybody so that we can – we can have more people know about what's going on, and we can hopefully put a stop to it. Riddell's special talent is coming up with solutions, and he likes to keep everything really positive. Say hello, Riddell. Hello, hello. Yeah, um, you kind of nailed it on the coffin. One point of reference is the Purple Political Breakdown. Uh, that is purple the podcast p- name. And, and now uh, you have a yeah, website. for the most part, is. I do, purplepoliticalbreakdown.com, and you can go on there, check out all the content, uh, check out all the solutions that we come up with in terms of all the issues we discuss, 
And um, like she said, we go over a lot of different things regardless of political affiliation, and we come up with solutions regardless of, you know, your viewpoint and have, like, discussions, debates, and really get down to the nitty-gritty of uh, whatever the topic we're discussing at that point in time. Well, we're so excited to have you. What we were thinking is that we would still, we would first kind of do a refresher on what guardianship is. You can Google guardianship, and there's the warm and fluffy, you know, explanation about what it is, but that's not really what it is. And what we're going to do is we're going to expose to you what it is. First, before we get started, I have to brag on Blog Talk Radio Uh, We have just been killing it over here. TS Radio Network, did anyone tune in to Marsha Joyner's show on Wednesday night? She had Heidi Klessen. She's a uh, MD, retired now MD, and she was an anesthesiologist out of here, out of Madison, Wisconsin here. So I don't know her, but I'd love to meet her. And she's written a, a book about organ donation. And before you ever sign your organ donor card, you need to listen to this. The next one, Thursday, we have a new show that just debuted, and this is Marcel Reed was able to find this guest. This is Dr. David Moskowitz. Dr. David Moskowitz has a his degree that he has different degrees from Oxford, Harvard, and MIT. He has found a cure to keep people off of dialysis, but he's running into some problems because there's too much money being made in dialysis, and so people aren't, he's not, this cure isn't happening. So he has decided he is the George Washington of the medical community. He is going to charge the way, and he is really excited because our listeners here, we do get involved and we do get upset when things are being done wrong. And if there's cures out there, we need to be utilizing those cures. And so hopefully we're going to do as good a job as everyone else has done this week on TS Radio Network. So to get started, we're going to just kind of the definition of guardianship is basically they'll say that someone is incapacitated and they can't take, 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 take care of themselves. They'll have psychiatrists, you know, and doctors do all these evaluations, and uh, Reverend Ralph's going to tell us about those evaluations. So this is all sounding on the up and up. People need help caring for themselves. They need help, you know, making their, you know, taking care of their finances. It all sounds really nice, warm, and fuzzy. But the reality is, We have, when I say that we have abusive guardians out there, I'm going to, because I want everyone to fact check me, I'm going to give you two examples that you can fact check and Google right now. The first one is April Parks out of Nevada. She's pretty much a terrible guardian, and we've had her victims on this show. The most disgusting story about April Parks was when the storage unit, because she was in jail, because she was found guilty of all these felonies, when she was in jail, she was unable to pay her storage unit. And so they, did, they do like these storage wars where people bid on storage units. And, oh, all the cremated remains, like, I've, like t- hundreds in the storage unit of all her wards. That's disgusting. Anyway, she kept the remains from the family and just threw them in a storage unit. You can fact check that. Google it, April Parks, Nevada. The next one is Rebecca Furley out of Florida. Now, Rebecca Furley had over 100 wards 
that she herself put DNR. A DNR means do not resuscitate. She did that because a guardian has the power to make those sorts of decisions depending on what state you've been trapped in. And there was the one that was so upsetting. It was a man who was in his right mind because as we, as Reverend Ralph and I are going to reveal, a lot of people being put in guardianship aren't necessarily incapacitated as the law would like to say or the courts are saying. So anyway, this man was in his right mind, and he said, please don't put a DNR on me. Please don't put a DNR on me. And the man was, from what I had heard, was just choking. He just like some food went down the wrong way. But because he had a DNR on him, everyone had to stand back and watch him die. Rebecca Furley also has been convicted of these felonies, and we don't know how many numerous people have succumbed to their injuries sustained by being in abusive guardianships under these two. Now, we know if two of them have gone to jail for felonies, we know that more are out there. They just haven't been prosecuted. So Reverend Ralph and I are about to reveal what's going on in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and maybe that will be next to have the next big story and prosecution. So, Riddell, feel free to um, interject as we're going to, you know, like in like 10, 15 minutes, Reverend Ralph and I are going to try and make you understand what guardianship is. And we're going to use Reverend Ralph's very much loved person as the example. Now, we can't say who this loved person is because Reverend Ralph will get in trouble. And so anyway, so here we go. Reverend Ralph. Before your very much loved person was put into guardianship, how incapacitated were they? Were they, like, unable to drive? Like, what was going on with your very much loved person? Well, good evening, Cos. Uh, up until the time uh, when my loved person was, uh, when a very, very close relative filed a petition for incapacitation uh, for guardianship, a uh, loved person was 96 years old was still driving uh, their car, no tickets or accidents for the past 50 years, and uh, had regular doctor visits, was in excellent physical health, did not use a cane, did not use a walker, had no uh, hearing aids, no dentures, no nothing. And the only uh, prescribed medication was a very, very low dosage pill for cholesterol. So... Basically, uh, this person was very, very active, would read the daily newspaper every day, drove to their appointments, and did the house cleaning, did the cooking. All the bills were automatically paid every month, uh, and the, there were no checks that were written to strange people like uh, the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus or anything. No bizarre checks written for bizarre amounts, like a million dollars or whatever. So the person's life was very, very much in order. And basically, many people hated this person just because at 96, they were more like 66. So it was a very, very nice life for this person. Uh, the, uh, the spouse, I was trying to think of the word, the spouse of this person uh, had worked very hard and made uh, a nice amount of money so the person could live comfortably in a very large home. 
And again, the daily life of this person was just of their choosing, and it was very, very nice and very, very happy. So there were no problems whatsoever. The unfortunate now, thing was, yeah, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cos. Oh, I was going to ask, did this, did this very much loved person have any, like, a will in place or a power of attorney, anything like that? Oh, yes. Uh, the spouse did everything that a person could do to have wills, trusts, power of attorneys, everything. Uh, details were written out as far as how the person's life uh, was uh, wanted to be done uh, when the spouse was not around. And to explain why the word person uh, name cannot be used, uh, in this guardianship case, which two years later is still going on, I'm trying to fight it, uh, to bring the person home, they, the court claimed there was a privacy that the uh, person had to have. And because it was I exposed the corruption uh, with a website. Uh, I could not use the name of the person, whether it's male or female or the relationship, just because the lawyer, the court-appointed lawyer for the person who is part of the scam, uh, has filed twice contempt of court charges against me, which put me in prison two different times within the last year. So to protect myself from going into prison a third time, I can only use the name person or very much loved person to refer to this person. Well, this is quite interesting. Now, on a side note, when you did go into jail, um, was your trial, was that in front of a jury of your peers? I mean, you were, you were incarcerated. Well, it wasn't a neighborhood jail. It was prison. It was the county prison. And, uh, no, it was simply in front of the same judge who I had been exposing being a part of the guardianship mafia, as it should be called, in Montgomery County. So, uh, no, it was the judge that was signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, The judge, Judge Weilheimer of Montgomery County Orphans Court, was the one that uh, tried me, sentenced me, and threw me in prison. Uh, the first time she sentenced me to six months in prison because of it was on my website. So I was able to get it taken down within 10 days, and I was released from prison by her. But what's interesting is the lawyer that was court assigned to my loved person, he, David Jaskowick of Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, he was the one that brought the contempt of court charge against me without asking his client, which is required of every lawyer to do what the client wants, he never asked the person if they approved of having me cited for contempt of court. So this is how close this mafia, this guardianship mafia, is in Montgomery County. This is some crazy stuff. Riddell, what do you think so far? Uh, yeah, so far it definitely sounds uh, extremely unfortunate concerning the situation. Uh, and a lot of people that, especially when you know the people involved and it really hits home on being kind of forced in a scenario where you believe that you can't really do anything but uh, keep on pers- uh, persisting. Uh, were you, uh, are you able to, like, appeal these decisions to a higher court? Good question. In Pennsylvania, there is a 30-day 
uh, grace period where you can appeal it to a higher court, uh, to superior court. The problem was that uh, I had only about seven or eight thousand dollars, and I used that money to hire a lawyer to protect my love person, even though love person was assigned a uh, county lawyer. But the problem was, after about a month and a half, I had to fire my lawyer for gross incompetence. So at the petition hearing, I was pro se. And the problem was, uh, even though I established that the the evaluation was a total fraud, which we'll get into later, uh, again, this is all new to, I mean, nobody is really trained in the law, so I was not aware that it was a 30-day deadline, and you know, it just passed, and then it became a fact that could not be appealed. So, again, now, this is what happens to many people, that they don't know the law, and the crooks get take advantage of that. Yeah. Now, I have a question. Usually when people are being tried and, you know, they're in court and they're being accused of a crime, they can get a court-appointed attorney. But this is all happening in probate court. And so, Reverend Ralph, no court-appointed attorney for you? No, not at all. And, again, it's unfortunate that these people that are working as a group committing a crime, they are called a racket, and what they're doing is called racketeering, and that's prosecuted under the federal law or crime of RICO. So, uh, true, yeah, if you commit a murder, you get a free public defender. But in the case of guardianship, yes, that person that is being uh, stated of being incapacitated, uh, they get a free lawyer. But the problem is that that lawyer who is part of this corruption, he doesn't tell the family that they can hire their own lawyer. So, again, it's all about keeping it all within the group to keep that money coming in. And guardianship corruption is only about the money. Get the money from the alleged Uh, incapacitated person, and all their assets. It's only about the money and how to get it. One thing that I want Riddell to know is it's not just super wealthy people that that this happens to. It's kind of like they have different degrees of guardianship. Yes, they go for the super wealthy one, which anyone who watched the Netflix I Care A Lot, those are called the cherries. You got one with a very large estate, and so they're going to feast on that. But they first put people into guardianship. It's kind of like throwing noodles against a wall. Let's see what sticks. So they put whoever they can into guardianship, and then they can start asset searching and seeing who's got all the money. But now you're trapped. So let's say that you really don't have a lot of money, but now you just got put in guardianship. The guardian is going to make money. You're going to be kind of like their fast food. They're going to make their money on volume because they're going to take all your Social Security checks. They're going to get paid by the state. They're going to, they're still going to make a lot of money. And some of these guardians have, uh, I know in Montgomery County, there was uh, one that testified she had 71 wards at the time. So one person is supposed to be taking care of 71 people, and she was a guardian of the person and of the estate. So she, and it doesn't sound like she even has employees working for her. She was just a disaster. 
and her name is Doshi Kalpana. We've known about her for a lot, a lot of years. And she basically is is pretty incompetent, and we could bring Austin Gibson on to, um, to attest to that, and we've had her on before. But anyway, she has 71 wards, and she's supposed to be making medical decisions for all 71 people and also paying all their bills and taking care of all their things. Riddell, do you think that one person can actually take care of 71 people at the same time? No, it definitely sounds uh, ridiculous based on what you're explaining. And when I looked into it a little bit, from what I'm aware of, and you can uh, kind of enlighten me about this, from what I'm aware of when it comes to choosing a guardian, um, it can be a family member, uh, relative, um, close friend. Um, in these uh, in these situations, uh, well, I don't know exact examples, but in these situations where it's like a ward is in charge of 71 people, is this a profession that this person has that make that they look out for people who need guardians, or is this just a random person um, that's not associated at all with the person? So that's a great question. Let's let's hand that one off to Reverend Ralph. Reverend Ralph, these are professional guardians. What qualification does a professional guardian actually need? Well, because it varies in every state. But in Pennsylvania, the only requirement is that you have to be over 18. And it's an interesting point that was brought up was if, uh, as far as the money is concerned. If you're, uh, there are two types of guardians for the, list, for the new listeners, uh, guardian of the person or guardian of the state. Most of the time, these guardians want to be both because, again, that's where the money is. But what's interesting is, if a person wanted to open up a business as far as for financial investment or a financial advisor or something like that, they have to get certain state licenses in order to do that type of thing. But with guardianship, it's a, anybody can do it, and then they have total control of all the assets. It could be millions and millions of dollars. And the problem is they can take out loans on the person's house even before it's sold, uh, they have total control of debit cards. They can open up a debit card in their own name or from the person and be able to spend as much money as they want, and then the victim pay, has to pay it off or it's deducted from their bank accounts. And the fact that when you have such a, a loophole in the law, which, again, so far there's no laws that restrict it, uh, as far as the number of, I call them victims because that's what they end up being, uh, there's no limit on the number of victims that a guardian can have control over. Uh, the guardian that has control over my loved person has 10 other clients. And what's interesting is that uh, they, the guardians basically don't answer to anybody. And if the family starts seeing problems that the guardian is not addressing, well, they do what's called demonizing that person. They make up things about that person as an excuse to keep that person away from the uh, family member. And I know of examples where husbands have not been allowed to see their wives for years. Wives have not been allowed to see their husbands for years. Uh, Mothers cannot see, or sons and daughters cannot see their mothers or fathers. Or the guardian will charge them for visits. This is not a crime just of a burglar stealing a TV set. This is about 
taking advantage of people's love and affection for their loved persons and squeezing it and getting pleasure out of it in addition to stealing the money. So basically, anybody can be a guardian, and the problem is these people are only in it for the money, and they don't care if they're doing anything right or wrong. It's just grab that money. And I know of many cases where these guardians use people their clients, their victims, as like a collection where one guardian will say to the other, oh, you only have 10 victims, I have 50 or 30 or whatever. And this is why it is so such a disgusting crime that it's about the worst people being in charge of people's lives. We, we do believe that these guardians are probably sociopaths because – they don't, it doesn't seem to bother them. They seem to sleep well at night. One of the things that they really like to do is to I, um, they basically say isolate, medicate, steal the estate. And one of the things that they love to do is over-medicate the elderly on psychotropic drugs. Now, if you would go to the Mayo Clinic website, you will see, like, for example, my uncle was over-medicated on Five milligrams of halidol a day. That is not 0.5, that is five. If you go to the Mayo Clinic and you type in halidol and you research what that drug is, and I have medical records to back up what I'm saying, uh, it will say that these drugs should not be given to elderly people with dementia because the side effect is death. I'd like to know when you're giving these drugs to the elderly and you know that the side effect is death, what's 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 that about but anyway they basically when you think of uh, nursing homes you think of it as a business and if you have somebody who's really getting around and walking and keeping themselves busy that's going to cause the nursing home owners to have higher payroll because now they're going to have to keep up with this person who they are supposed to be caring for and so to get their payroll in line because they want to make as much money as possible, they drug the elderly, they drug the disabled, so they basically just sit in a bed all day long. And that lowers the payroll cost for these rehabs and nursing homes and, and things. Were you aware of that practice, Riddell? Um, I can definitely consider the idea that there are people who will take advantage of these elderly people and do disgusting things. So I'm not surprised in regarding uh, these, like you said, sociopaths doing these things and taking advantage of these people for their own gain. And I do think that is a problem um, for sure. Um, I wasn't too kind of connected to the guardianship. I wasn't uh, as in touch with the idea that there's a whole profession where people can uh, take advantage of this kind of horrible thing as part of their job. And my, I do have a question regarding this guardianship and the, the priority this person would have uh, in comparison to maybe like family or friends. How is it that this uh, guardian who, you know, took this job on, gets priority care over this person in comparison to, like, a family member or friend? Who de- who decides that? That's a great question. Reverend Ralph, take it away. Thank you very much. I was itching to answer that question. Well, that, 
That is, uh, and by the way, just everything you just said, uh, Kaz, is a fact. Uh, I want the listeners to know. I know it, and I'll verify everything you just said as a fact. As far as how is a guardian chosen, uh, I would estimate, in my own estimation, about 80% of the guardians uh, are not family members. Uh, only about 20% of them are. And about 80% of the time, the family, a family member will file the petition to uh, start a guardianship hearing. So the problem is they want to be in control of the money. They have agreed. They don't think their parents gave them enough money or whatever. So they start the petition. Now, when it involves a guardianship corruption as a group, a racket, what happens is when the file comes across to a corrupt judge, that, oh, this person, this family member wants to have a guardianship, and they see that they have a house and money and so forth, that corrupt judge will take that case. And they, because a family member started it, the judge will use the excuse, oh, uh, to avoid any infighting within the family, well, no family member can be the guardian. I just happen to have the perfect guardian for that person. So then the corrupt judge will hire the corrupt lawyer for the uh, alleged incapacitated person who, once they are declared incapacitated, then the corrupt uh, lawyer will recommend uh, a, a guardian that he knows will play ball. Playing ball means they will, hire, they will agree to be hired if they hire that lawyer to be their lawyer. So, in other words, it's all about kickbacks. You hire this person, they'll kick money back to you. Uh, the uh, guardian, uh, he, he is free in Pennsylvania, and this is what is disgusting. In Pennsylvania, there are no contracts that are signed by the guardian and the family. And because of that, the guardian, the corrupt guardian, will take full advantage of being able to hire anybody he wants, as many people as he wants, and they give money back, kickbacks, to each other. And the problem is all that money is coming from the, uh, the victim's bank account. So it's all about a corrupt judge picking the corrupt lawyer to represent the alleged incapacitated person and kicking out any family member who would want to do that just for the money. And the family member or the family is denied the ability to be a guardian just because the judge doesn't want to have any so-called infighting within the family. So the judge always has excuses to use why the family member cannot be the guardian. And that happened in my case, too, with my loved person. So this is how it's all manipulated. It's all about the scheme or scam. It's all about the plan to get control away from the family, assign people that will be part of this racket that will kick back money to each other. So if you go to the county docket and if you type in a certain lawyer's name or a certain guardian's name, you will see all the different people that are hired by each other. And this tells you that the corruption, how far it goes with the same lawyers hiring the same guardians who are assigned by the same judges. So this is why a 
guardian is usually not a family member, even if they want to be. Even if they want to be, the judge will kick them out as a potential guardian. So, again, keep in mind, when it comes to a uh, family member to be the guardian of the person, who knows that person better than the family, as opposed to a total stranger walking into somebody's life and making decisions that they don't know if that's going to be a good decision or a bad decision for that person. And keep in mind, this person's elderly, 75, 80, 85 years old. So, again, it's a rigged system. I would agree, and it goes even further, and you can actually see the court records of this being true if you go to shenanigans in the Montgomery County, Pennsylvania Facebook page. That's uh, Mr. Shenanigans seems to be posting the different court records, and I'm thinking of the Tarkini story where uh, Marie Tarkini was the ward, and they her her late husband had actually been an attorney who practiced in Montgomery County and there was power of attorney paperwork all set up where her daughter Kim was supposed to be the power of attorney. But Judge Ott of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania kicked Kim off and appointed a guardian. So we are ignoring legal documents right now these judges are ignoring legal documents. We have people come on this program, I mean, for years and years and years where this story goes on and on. So if someone, for chance, didn't have power of attorney paperwork, they're still not going to appoint a family member. It just makes it a little bit, you know, easier. But the judge basically just throws the power of attorney paperwork in the garbage. So it, it's like it doesn't even matter to go waste your money with an attorney to even write these things up because they're being they're not being followed because that's not what that's not how everyone's going to make money if we can actually follow people's wishes of what they want. What do you think of all that, Radell, hearing that we just don't follow power of attorney paperwork? Yeah, that's that's something that is uh, definitely sounds, you know, as you can say, uh, corrupt in a way, especially considering, as you said, that there may be paperwork put in place where the the person, the ward, chose someone directly to be, et cetera, et cetera, whether that's the power of the attorney, whether that's the innate, like, specific guardian. So in those situations where paperwork is obviously there, it should be kind of cutthroat to kind of go from A to B, that this is how things should be. Um, in these situations, I do want to ask, when it comes down to these cases, the courts that you go to, are they completely jurisdiction-based, or can you choose the specific court that you want to be held, um, that you want to have your case? That's a great question. Reverend Ralph, I know you know the answer. Why don't you answer that one? Well, unfortunately, you cannot pick the court that you want to be in. Uh, whatever mm -hmm. county you live in, that will be the county orphans court that you uh, are assigned to, and specifically it's the orphans court that handles these matters. And it's interesting in that uh, the to be determined to be incapacitated, that definition is so loose and general that basically it can apply to anybody. And yeah. the uh, uh, the problem is is that 
it mainly talks about the, um, uh, whether it's financial, whether or not they can make a financial decision that uh, they can understand and do. But the problem is that is so broad that if, they ba- if somebody bounces a check or if they don't pay their credit card on time or something, if you're 30 or 40 years old, that's something everybody does. But if you're 75, that can be used against you to say, oh, this person doesn't balance their checkbook or they don't uh, pay their credit cards on time. Oh, that's, that's uh, financial abuse, and that's, that person should have guardianship. So uh, it's important to note that, and Marty said this a year ago. I mean, I remember it. She said it's all about age discrimination. That if you're 30 or 40 or 50, if you bounce a check or don't pay your credit cards on time, well, that's no big deal. Everybody does it. But if you're 75, 80, oh, that means you have dementia and you need a guardian to control your life and your finances. But if you look at the money that these guardians and their lawyers and their care managers and all these people charge the victim, the point is how are they better off now than before when they didn't have all those people attached to them. So you have to ask yourself the question, which is what I've asked many, many people, how is the person better off now mentally, medically, physically, financially, and their happiness? How are they better off now than before they had a guardian assigned to them? And the answer is they never are. They never are. So. Obviously, that means the guardianship is not working, and the guardians are not doing their job, so they should be thrown out. As our population ages in the United States, we right now guardianship is a multi-billion, billion with a B, dollar industry. And we have the baby boomers about to, you know, head on into the, the into the great eternity, and they have these estates that need to be passed on. And these guardians are set to make sure they are feasting on these estates. Pennsylvania, about a third of the population of Pennsylvania is considered elderly. It's one of the states that has one of the larger elderly populations. The other states that we hear a lot of malfeasance going on is, unfortunately, Florida. Florida is a Venus flytrap. Everyone with a lot of money, they move to Florida to retire. I mean, the stories that are coming out of Phineas County and, of course, the Rebecca Furley doing all her DNR, and she actually is in, I believe she's in jail. I know she went to court and was found guilty of felonies. So you have Florida is just a hotbed for it. And people have been screaming and shouting to every kind of senator, governor, everything, and no one cares and nothing happens. The other state we have is um, Arizona. We are having a lot. We hear some stuff. Nevada, where April Parks was. Now, once that hit the media, it seems to have calmed down. What we're noticing, Riddell, is if a media story hits big, like the April Park story in Nevada, that's when change happens. And it, is, uh, it just seems to be the last thing that as United States that we need to hold on is the freedom of the press. Because right now, the press seems to be the only hope for anybody exposing these sorts of crimes. And that is why we so appreciate you coming onto the show, because we consider you the press. 
and that if you learn something from us, you are going to take that on to your audience and your listeners because you talk about you talk about the hard issues, and we really believe this is an issue that we would love to see you talk. We kind of feel like we're having a tryout here, like, you know, maybe you'll invite us on, and we can definitely let your audience know about what's going on in the United States, definitely in the elderly community. Now, I live in Wisconsin, and we don't have as much malfeasance going on. In fact, I was invited to be a speaker at the social worker convention. So when I call out Adult Protective Services, because I know some of the people in Wisconsin are listening, I am not calling out Wisconsin Adult Protective Services because I actually don't know of one issue where this instance where this happened, but I do need to go back to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, we do seem to have some problems with Adult Protective Services. And in some of these other states and other stories that have come forward, it seems that there is racketeering going on in adult protective services where they're trolling the nursing homes, looking, you know, looking for their next victims, and they basically go in to, quote, quote, protect. Reverend Ralph, would you want to, um, like, say more about adult, adult protective services? Because you're there in Pennsylvania so that Radal can understand this is a government agency that's helping to do this to our precious elderly. Thank you. Uh, basically, I have found these state agencies are nothing but bureaucratic uh, waste baskets. All they care about is just pushing papers around. Uh, there are so many state agencies in Pennsylvania that have that give the impression they deal with the elderly, elderly abuse, and things like that. Uh, legal, free legal aid for the elderly. And all they do is pass you from one person to another, from one state agency to another state agency to another state agency. And they basically are just there because some politician wanted to create some jobs to make it look like he's helping somebody with their problem. But they don't. And the problem is is that uh, when either the person, either the incapacitated person has to contact them or if they go to see the incapacitated person at the nursing home, uh, they're not allowed to disclose the information to the family. So you don't know if they ever went there, what they found out, even the Department of Health, if you call them up, they will not tell you what they found, even if you tell them about problems and so forth. And it's also extremely, uh, and because what you just said about nursing homes, about these guardians going to nursing homes, Every county has nursing homes. Every township may have a nursing home. And the police departments don't want to get involved. If they hear of a guardian problem at a nursing home or with a guardian in their township or county, they will just say, well, it's a civil matter. You know, they don't want to get involved. The guardian's in charge. Take them to court and so forth. And I've had very, very, uh, oh, not, not pleasant dealings with the district attorney's offices all the way up to the attorney general of Pennsylvania, where I have met about two months ago, I met personally the new attorney general of Pennsylvania, Michelle Henry, and I gave her a packet of documents, and I said I wanted to meet with her chief of staff about guardianship corruption in Pennsylvania that's being ignored, and basically I just get the brush off. Uh, I've contacted the district attorney's office of Montgomery County up in Norristown. Uh, and 
I had a uh, t- this, and this is a disgusting story, but about a year and a half ago, I had a uh, meeting with one of their county detectives up in Norristown, and two-hour meeting. I gave him documents and so forth, and he took the information. And I said there'd be a lot of people calling him who were victims in Montgomery County. Well, about, about two months later, I was getting phone calls from people saying they didn't get the return phone calls from this detective in the DA's office. So I call up the DA's office, and I find out the guy had retired three weeks after I talked to him. He closed the case, and then he contacted the judge who was handling my loved person's case, Judge Gail Weilheimer up in uh, Norristown. He told her that I had uh, tried to open a case against her uh, by filing a criminal complaint against her. Well, you just don't tell the judge who's handling a loved person of yours that you tried to file a criminal case against this judge. I mean, that's how stupid this detective was. So I contacted, oh, about five or six months later, or no, it was about a year later, I contacted the DA's office again. I talked to another detective, Detective Kelly, I had a meeting with him about five minutes, and he showed me the door, and he basically said, well, he'll call me uh, when he finds out why the case was closed. Well, two months later, he has yet to call me or respond to emails. So you see, the corruption goes up and down the chain, and it involves judges, and no DA's office is going to want to you know, go after a judge because it's all about politics and their jobs and promotions and so forth. So the corruption is just not within one or two guardians. It involves corrupt judges, it involves district attorney's office that don't want to do anything, police departments that don't want to get involved, uh, attorney generals that don't want to get involved. It's just about passing the buck. And these state agencies, it's sad that taxpayers are paying these people to do a job, and they're not doing anything. I'd like to add, there was one attorney general, and everyone get your Google out and fact-check me. So I've been dealing uh, – my case went way before Reverend Ralph's case, and it's, you know, done and over, but I'm playing the long game. I'm going to expose this. I'm going to keep talking about it. So I go way back, and it was the same thing, you know, social services, the ombudsman, a, you know, every kind of agency you can, t- you can say, you know, everyone like, did you try this in the U.S. attorney, the IRS? I mean, did you file a um, complaint on their law license? Yes, we've done everything. But what we did was we filed Medicare fraud, and that kicked it up to federal. And that was a little tip that I got from Senator Tammy Baldwin out of Wisconsin, so I really appreciate that I got that tip to figure out how to make it a federal complaint. And when we did do that, it ended up in, at the Attorney General Office of Pennsylvania, and her name was Kathleen Kane. Now, if anyone wants to Google Kathleen Kane, she's my political hero. She was going after everyone. She was taking down, like, the local sheriffs in these small little communities. I mean, they were, there was one story where someone was selling guns out of the sheriff's office. I mean, just the corruption that was happening all over Pennsylvania. So when, our, when we kicked over and got an investigation opened up there at the attorney general office, we were excited. And because of social media, so many of us victims, I, 
I'm guessing, what do I know, about 200 victims in Pennsylvania, Reverend Ralph? I think it's right around there. I know five in Wisconsin, and I don't even live in Pennsylvania. So there's so many of us. So we were able to, um, all of us, like, hey, file a complaint, get this in. So Kathleen came, my political hero, started investigating Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And the Guardian, I remember, I still have the email where she wrote, these men came to visit visit Harvey and do you know who they are well I knew who they were they were doing wellness checks I wasn't going to tell her and um, so they definitely started investigating stuff and it is it's so big and can you imagine when the scandal goes national and the news actually picks it up it's bigger than burning Madoff it's bigger than the Enron scandal because not only are you stealing all this money you're isolating people and hastening death with all these psychotropic drugs. And this is all can be backed up with documents. But anyway, Montgomery County basically took out the attorney general of the state of Pennsylvania. They filed corruption charges on her. And so they took jurisdiction. They took the attorney general of the state of Pennsylvania, had to go through this corrupt court, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and they basically were able, this is how corrupt this county is, they threw the attorney general in jail. Do you remember all this, Reverend Ralph? Yeah, I remember some of it, but again, at the time, I just saw it as an attorney general getting prosecuted. I didn't take a personal interest because it's only been for the last two years that I have been involved and knew about guardianship corruption. Riddell, what do you think about the fact that is it possible they took the attorney general out because they were investigating this crime? I definitely think that's something that can be considered. Um, uh, I can't really make an informed opinion without knowing, like, more facts and details, of course. But one thing I do know is that, you know, one thing I don't like in terms of um, talking about certain issues is making uniform, blanketed, um, especially negative or even positive statements uh, that are trying to uh, elicit it as facts about this huge brush of things, like the entire country is, et cetera, or all cops are, et cetera. And the reason why that's problematic is because the focus is not on what is really going on. And this is a perfect example. This is much more nuanced and is much more specific as you're focusing on the Montgomery, Pennsylvania court uh, case um, regarding guardianship. It's not a huge uniform blanket. They know you can focus on one thing, focus on the details and facts on it. But like you said, because it doesn't have that um, mass attention, the media the attention, the press attention, nobody's talking or nobody's caring about it. And in the country of America being so big, to think that there aren't systems in place that are centralized and small enough to be corrupt and affect um, tens of hundreds of people is absolutely foolish. And we always have to try to focus on getting rid of those as soon as possible. Yeah. And now I guess we didn't mention 
There's a big group in Michigan. Uh, there was an article that was in the Daily Caller written by Gretchen Rachel Hammond that exposed this. They, she found 1,600 victims and has all the court records for that. That is the most documented state. And there is, for the new listeners, you can go ahead on Facebook and look up Justice for Betty Hayes. That's a story where the power of attorney was ignored, and it's a very sad story that's going on. So we have this going on in Michigan. We have this going on as huge in Florida. Nevada kind of calming down after April Parks. I mean, she basically, that's the I Care A Lot movie by Netflix. They, they pattern that after her. We do hear it going, we do have some in Maryland, Virginia, I mean, we have five here in Wisconsin that we've talked about, but me living here and there's only five that I know about isn't, I mean, it just shows that it's not a huge problem. We have some out in, oh, Cook County, Chicago. So there's little pockets of it all around the country, and we seem to all unite around, like that's where our, that's who our callers and listeners are. But what's happened, because Marty Oakley, this was something that she was talking about it's happening in other countries, and there's a group out of Australia, the Australian Association to Stop Guardianship and Administrative Abuse, and they're one of our sponsors here, and we did hear their commercial in the beginning. The same things are going on in Australia, and it's the same sort of crimes. And in Australia, because they have less population, what did she say? She's, Chris was on a few weeks ago. Um, Reverend Ralph, remind me. The United States population, we're around 350 million, and Australia was right around, was it 50 million? So I don't recall. I'm what, sorry, I don't recall yeah. the number. So although their land mass is, you know, is like big like ours, their population is smaller, so they seem to be becoming more effective in their fight. So the United Nations just sanctioned Australia on crimes against humanity because of what they're doing with the elderly. And the only other country that's ever been sanctioned, like Australia was just sanctioned about a month ago, is Rwanda. And so the fact that this is going on in Australia, they've been exposing it, and because it's a smaller population, they're really doing a good job at exposure. But the problem is still ongoing. The UN has sanctioned that country for these, these behaviors as a crimes against humanity. And what we have found, and Australia has found, is there's a few other countries that are starting to get groups together, like here in the United States, we have the National Association of Stop Guardianship Abuse, NASGA. We have over there Australia, ASGA. The other countries that are starting to form groups that are starting to cry out about this crimes against the elderly and uh, disabled, we have, and if anyone's listening international, get a hold, go to aasgaa.org, and Chris is trying to get everyone united, and you can email her on that contact. Anyway, we are looking for, and what we know of, crimes going on in the country of Japan, the country of Ireland, the country of Scotland, and the country of Norway. They are making, they are finding people on Twitter. People are starting to find each other, and this is a global problem that's going on. What do you, I mean, 
you probably had never heard such a thing before, Radell, but it's the reality. What do you make of all this? Yeah, if I'm being completely honest based on, like, what I cover, I usually, you know, focus on a lot of, like, uh, political issues, culture issues, of course. And when it comes to age groups, we talk a lot about, you know, making sure the kids are doing better in education or values or social issues regarding teenagers and kids and uh, content moderation potentially and freedom of speech. Um, and one thing that I, you know, we don't really talk about is, you know, what is going on with the elderly. I, and when I do my research or kind of expand my horizon and see what other people are doing, I don't really see them talking about it either. And, you know, after this um, conversation and doing my research and listening to what you have to say and what you guys are saying, there should definitely be a conversation and making sure that the uh, elderly and making sure that uh, people aren't taken advantage of regardless of what age. And, I mean, to be fair, um, like uh, what you said earlier, this this honestly may be some part of age discrimination where people just don't care about the elderly as much as the other age groups. I think you're on to something, and I definitely see it as a social issue. And I know Marty used to say so much about the age discrimination because um, she was 72 when she passed away, so she was considered a senior citizen. And she used to say that people think of the elderly, and this is her quote, as a useless eater, that you're basically not productive in society, that you're just – and some people think that Social Security is like – um, entitlement where actually that's taken out of people's paychecks and it's supposed to be like your retirement fund. But right now the attitude towards Social Security is, oh, look at all these elderly people getting their free money, getting their entitlement, and they don't work and they're not doing anything. They're not really, they're useless in society. They're a burden on society. And Marty used to talk about that, that that seems to be how people view the elderly in culture and even in Japan because we're starting to hear this terrible stuff terrible stories come out of Japan when I think of Japan I think of reverent reverence to the elderly and that they you know that when an elderly person walks in the room everyone stands but the culture is changing and the culture is changing on a global scale and this is where I really think that we need to have the discussion so that people can realize, because you know what, we're all going to get old someday if we make it, and there's no escaping that. And we need to care now before we're next. It's going to happen to us. So what do you feel that we could do to make talking about the elderly more relevant? Well, I definitely think podcasts, discussions um, like this is very helpful in spreading this message. Um, more people should kind of uh, enlighten why people that are elderly are getting taken advantage of and how terrible it is because at the same time, like you said, all of us for the most part are also going to get old. All of us have grandparents. All of us have parents that will eventually get old. Like the natural scope of humanity should be the idea that, you know, taking care of children, helping them grow up and respecting the elderly and what they've been through and kind of shaping how society is today, uh, especially if you live in America and how kind of fortunate America is today compared to, I mean, 100 years ago. So 
you know, I do think we're losing that sense of uh, respect. I do think we're losing some values that are essential to being like, um, you know, a human being, so to speak. And by that, we're kind of being a little bit more materialistic. So these conversations uh, at the end of the day will be important. And one kind of message that I spread on my podcast and I've talked about before is that one thing that is important is widening your horizons, gaining more perspective, and having conversations with different type of people. And that way you can kind of shape your values more so based on something that is concrete versus something that is a lot more kind of abstract. So conversations and the media presence, social media presence is super important and obviously advocacy and uh, really kind of putting these things in the forefront in different um, communities so you can start making sure that you're doing justice for, for the elderly in your community. I think this is a great start to recognize that we do need to respect our elderly. Did did um did Reverend Ralph and I explain how this guardianship scam works? Because for us and most of our listeners, every they're listening because they've already gone through it. And what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that you understand how it how it happens. And sometimes when we explain it to other people, they think we're wearing a tinfoil hat because it just sounds so crazy that in our country that this is happening in the United States of America and in our courts where everyone thinks the court is where you go to get justice. Oh, have we explained it and have we convinced you that what we're saying is true? Um, I do think you both did a very good job in explaining it. Um, exactly why I want what I said earlier in, retro- in referencing how it's not smart to make these uniform blanketed opinions, but you need to focus on the nuance and go through it by case-by-case basis. And what I do think you're doing right now is focusing on a specific case and diving into the details and explaining it properly. And the people who kind of do the other thing, it's either everything is bad or everything is good. It's very black and white. And I don't think that's how life is. So I do think you explained it you know, very well, and the situation, like I said, it's foolish to think that there aren't systems in place that can be taken advantage of people, because there definitely is, regardless of how good you think America is, there are systems out there that you may not even know about that can take advantage of people, and, you know, especially when you get in the hundreds of people, the more and more the people say something, then it's obviously something that is going on there. Um, Obviously, for me, in order for me to say something is true, because true is a very strong word, I would have to do, like, much more in-depth research about it. But the issue I do think is true, the overall issue of the elderly and guardianship, the fact that guardianship in terms of a, of a job, I do think probably should be vetted a lot more concretely. I would I would consider only like at the very least former nurses or current nurses should be the only ones that's occupying some jo- that jo- type of job, not some eighteen year old who you may may be qualified at, at at a particular day, and the fact that you know these judges are choosing these guardians, I do think that's not efficient process, um, especially when their excuses, oh the family, I don't want you guys to infight, so I'm going to choose someone. 
there should be never a case where the family doesn't take precedent regarding another family matter unless abuse is actually evident in that situation, and it has to be very evident. So a lot of the details you're listening, even the, even if someone thinks you're wearing a tinfoil hat, the, the scenarios themselves does not seem like an efficient and even a fair system. So at the very least, if you think that, oh, this didn't happen exactly how you said it, you can definitely agree to the fact that this, pro- this system is not efficient and it doesn't really benefit the family and the person involved um, at all. Yeah. Kaz, can wow. I uh, jump in a little? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I, I'm fascinated with what both of you have been saying. Uh, a couple of points that I want to cover uh, before they're or in case uh, they don't get covered. Uh, as far as my background, uh, I've done 41 years of lie detection testing nationwide. In the last 20 of that, I have trained people worldwide. And the lie detection system that most people have heard about is called polygraph, the one with the attached wires. I never did that. I used a system that was invented in 1970 called voice stress analysis, which I won't get into, but it's far more accurate than the polygraph. So because of that training and my experience, uh, I've been able to gather all you know, as much information and details and so forth, which we don't have the time to get into. But again, when I talk about things, it's because I have documented facts to back that up. Um, and it's interesting um, that I have seen that the re- why do these problems exist? And it's interesting as far as in the political circle because you have both Republicans and Democrats that time and time and time again, various bills are introduced that never get out of committee. Excuse me. So the problem is people do have solutions, but the politicians, both Democrat and Republican, and I'm estimating maybe 35, 40% of politicians now are lawyers. So you have that other organization that will never pass any laws that will inflict uh, damage to their income and these law firms. Excuse me again. I got a little frog in my throat. Now, one point that I really want to cover is besides the corruption of the corrupt judge assigning the corrupt lawyer, assigning the corrupt guardian and so forth, is how are these people determined to be incapacitated. Now, in Pennsylvania, and this is very, very scary, in Pennsylvania, there are no requirements and no standards as to what constitutes an accurate evaluation to determine if somebody is incapacitated. Now, for example, uh, in the case of my loved person, when I was in court as pro se uh, at the petition hearing, the fact that there was a psychologist that the county hired. And that psychologist, he had a PhD, he said, and he said that he had experience working with people with memory problems. Well, nobody ever verified that and nobody checked it out, but again, this corrupt judge, Judge Weilheimer up in Norristown, uh, she's been there for in Orphan's Court for about nine years, and I believe she's up for re-election this year. <clears throat> There are no standards or requirements, as I said. 
And I dissected that guy, the psychologist, in court. I asked him, okay, what did you do to determine this person was incapacitated? So he said, well, he used different paper and pencil tests. Well, they can be downloaded by the Internet, from the Internet, for free. And I checked, and there were no uh, studies that showed that they had any accuracy whatsoever. And also, uh, the evaluation time <clears throat> can be any time. It can be five minutes long. It can be an hour. It can be five hours. There is no time requirement. There is no number of tests that must be done. And most important, what's fascinating when you talk about corruption in guardianship, the fact that these psychologists never record either audio and or video of the evaluation. So there is no proof that what that person, the victim, said or did not say or how they said it or did not say it. So in other words, it's the psychologist is simply saying, take my word for it. He couldn't do this test. He couldn't do that test. He didn't know how to count backwards from 10. And that's going to determine somebody's life and how their assets are going to be basically stolen from them. I mean, it, it's just it's like if a police officer went into court and said, well, he says to the jury, well, the person did this crime because I saw it. I have no proof but just take my word for it. And that's what this is. This is what this evaluation amounts to. Somebody with a title, a PhD, who says, take my word for it. This person could not do this test, could not do that test, but I have no proof that they ever did it. And because they do not allow the family members to be there, there's no proof that that evaluation was ever done. And even when they write their reports, there is no proof that that report pertained to the person that they supposedly evaluated. So, you know, you start with the center of this so-called uh, uh, guardianship and inc being incapacitated, but how is it determined? Uh, now, I cannot speak for any other states but just Pennsylvania. And I don't – I, I couldn't believe – that all these law firms in Pennsylvania that do guardianships, none of them ever did their due diligence, to use a legal term, meaning they never checked it out, before they simply did the paperwork, hired a psychologist, or the court did, and then said, oh, okay, the person's incapacitated, here's the guardian, uh, he's going to take control of this person's life until the day they die, and their money, and the family is basically just uh, ignored. And this is something where uh, the different uh, legislation, one SB 506, just uh, left the committee in Pennsylvania, was uh, passed by the Senate. It's out of committee. It's on the uh, floor to be voted on by the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. And there's a like bill by the House of Representatives that's still in committee. So as I said, there are legislation that it has been proposed because the people want it. The, some politicians will create the bill. But how do you explain to both Republicans and Democrats that don't think it's important enough to have this type of legislation made into a bill to protect the senior citizens? But again, neither one of those bills deal with anything pertaining to evaluation standards, that 
will be used to determine the fate of these senior citizens. Now, I want to cover, you mentioned Japan cause, and that's a very interesting uh, uh, point. In Japan, just I think it was a year ago, Japan uh, passed a law that said uh, for senior citizens that the uh, country will pay the senior citizen money. I don't know how much offhand, I forget. But the government will pay senior citizens in Japan money to commit suicide because oh, the, population, right. the population in Japan uh, is not equal, is not enough to cover the expenses of the elderly in Japan. So, so here, here you have a government of the people of Japan saying, look, we'll pay you whatever, a couple thousand dollars, whatever, if you agree to commit suicide after you use that money. And they make it sound like it's such a wonderful thing. Oh, you can, with this money, you can go out to dinner, you can go on a vacation, and when you come back, you can kill yourself. Now, this is, yeah. this is just out of people's mind that a government was, is saying the people is not that important to the government so they're just they're just commodities like a toaster on the shelf, and this is why mm-hmm. in this country it's so so important that we have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights because basically, to my knowledge, only this country has the strongest Constitution to protect people and see people as they are human beings, not just people to make money to support the government. And this is why what was so important about the Revolutionary War, when we fought the British, we were telling them, nuts to you, if we're going to pay taxes, we want to have a right in what we do and what we decide. And Britain said, no, we just own you. And you saw what happened in the Revolutionary War. But I thought that was very important as far as Japan, how far a government will go just to even out the books. You know, we're spending too much money on the elderly. Well, if we pay them, maybe they'll kill themselves. I, I, I think that's insanity. So thanks, Todd. Well, we do, have, we do have some of that issue. There's some stories. Uh, I believe it's Oregon, and you can do euthanasia, and the guardian can decide for the person. They'll go to the judge and stuff and have their ward euthanized. So we are, we are in the United States allowing other people to make those decisions and it's a slippery slope i'd like to real quick i want to tell Riddell the story of harvey i'm going to do it in one minute so harvey was a korean war vet he was 19 years old he was a medic he held young boys as they died and obviously being in the korean war was something that he didn't talk about but when he when he came back from the war he had the dog tags of different of different young soldiers who died in his arms and he went personally to every single family that he had those dog tags of and he told them I was with your son he didn't die alone because the Harvey dying alone was just the worst tragedy that you can think of and once Harvey had his 80th birthday he went he started sharing that story and and was having like survivor guilt like why am I still alive and we started to hear these stories about the Korean War. And I don't know if you really, a lot of veterans don't talk about their service. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be very, very traumatizing. 
So fast forward, he's on Halidol, probably reliving the Korean War in his head because he's drugged to oblivion, and the Guardian had him isolated. The one thing that Harvey thought would be the worst thing is to die alone, and that is exactly what they had set for him to do. Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, kept him locked up and away from everyone, told his friends that he had already died. It was very, very tragic. And so knowing that that's how we have treated our veterans even is just, it's beyond disgusting. And that's part of why I still continue to speak about it and to speak out. Um, All of us get threatened, libel lawsuits and everything else. But, you know, we do, we keep, we keep telling our truth, and we have court documents to back up our truth. Um, I know I had one other thing. It was a politician thing, and now it's like I, like, lost it. Shoot. Well, Riddell, what do you think about what we've what we've talked about so far? Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting things are said. And the story, I, I do agree, it's very sad and very disappointing when you have these people going through their entire life and to kind of live it the best way they can, going through tragedy, of course, trying to be make a better world for everybody else, and then just kind of tossed aside when, you know, they're super old, super, um, you know, elderly, as, as we were talking about, and then a guardian kind of just throws them away like they're just like um, old dog for um, – just cause um, a lot of interesting yeah. things said overall in terms of the conversations, um, Japan. I mean, I don't, I don't try to talk about like other countries too much because um, like you said, America is so different and Japan is going through a very interesting stage where their social values is changing so much. And I don't really know what direction they'll be headed into moving forward. Um, if they kind of continue down that path to kind of figure out what's going on with them. Um, but when it comes down to America, like you said, the, the importance at the end of the day is the people, um, the people having their own, uh, the rights that is afforded to them from, like uh, we said earlier, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and we have to make sure we're adhering to that, holding these institutions accountable, holding these state agencies, these court systems accountable and in order for us to do that at the end of the day is we have to kind of solidify under a specific movement and this one would be better standards in determining what is incapacitated as that was elicited earlier the psychology analysis that seems like that was used in your situation definitely seems extremely inefficient in determining um, how guardians are determined and the power of the judge to choose said guardians needs to change um, in that Montgomery area for sure. And it, especially if they want to make a inclination that, uh, okay, infighting is a problem, but then try to leave the family out of so many important scenarios, that that doesn't seem like it makes any sense. That doesn't seem like it. you're kind of incorporating the family in such an important decision. So, once you solidify on this movement and how this should change, regardless of what affiliation you are, Democrat, Republican, it really doesn't matter, then you can start advocating and pushing these bills into place and changing and holding these people accountable, which is very important. Cause, if I can uh, add a little to it. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then I just remembered I was going to tell the voting, Riddell, about the voting, unless you remember about the war, the Guardian voting for the ward. Uh, well, you can touch on it. I'll just cover two quick points. Uh, okay. Number one, uh, before I forget, I have a very, very large website that I'm very proud of. It's called protectmyparents.us, and I have tons of articles, links to other great associations of against guardianship corruption, videos, books for sale by other authors who cover guardianship corruption, so uh, court cases and also articles about nursing homes and their abuses, including hospice uh, malpractice. So I you know, I like everybody to look at that, and uh, especially our guest, uh, who would get a lot of good information. Uh, the n second point I want to quickly cover is uh, there's a section uh, that is on my website, and it deals with various states and how they vary from least restrictive to most restrictive as far as the guardian's control over the incapacitated. And basically, in Pennsylvania, we have one of the least restrictive uh, controls over those incapacitated people, meaning least restrictive, meaning the family comes first, in theory. The family comes first. They're the ones that make the decisions. And what's important is the guardians are second on the list, not first, second. And in Pennsylvania, uh, under uh, state, Pennsylvania state uh, statute, Title 20, uh, Section 5521, it spells out that it's the incapacitated person that is in charge of basically his life. And the guardians and the lawyer for the guardian and so forth, they answer to him or her. So in Pennsylvania, in theory, under this statute, it's the person, uh, the incapacitated person, that has the right to decide what he wants to do, what he can do, if he wants to go to the movie every day or whatever. He is the one, he is the boss that other people are supposed to uh, carry out their wishes to the best of their ability. So I think those two points, I think, are very important for people to remember that uh, the problem is under that section uh, or Title 20, Section 5521, there are no penalties. So it's like uh, it's illegal to go over the speed limit, but nothing happens as far as a penalty. What good is it? So, but at right. least it's a start that has it in writing in Pennsylvania that the guard, that the uh, incapacitated person, he has control over his life and he is the boss. So I'll shoot it back to you, Cos. All right, I have one. I have one last thing that I had to tell Radell because he does a political podcast. So we know Pennsylvania was a contentious election state, and. Here is a fun fact about guardianship. All their rights are taken away except for their right to vote. Also in Wisconsin, when I was at the social worker convention, I brought that up. There were state attorneys that were at that convention. They, I saw them all writing this down, and then they stopped. When, when I was done, they said, hey, what she just said is right. They never take away the right to vote. So what happens to all these these elderly who are guardianized, the guardian is casting the ballot for them. It's called bundling, and that vote is for sale. What do you think about that, Riddell? Yeah, that definitely seems like one of the most corrupt things I've ever heard. Um, the, the aspect of bundling 
kind of kind of defeats the purpose of um, voting in general when it comes because the person should have the right a individual person should always have the right to one individual vote. You can influence a vote, but you should be in charge of only one vote. So, yeah, that that right. is something that should never be allowed. Yeah, and so that was that was the aha moment, and I saw them all taking notes when I brought that up uh, to the, the Wisconsin attorneys, and they definitely let the social workers that were there know that if you ever saw anything like this, to do something about it. Real quick, we're gonna we have about seven minutes left. We're doing Debbie Dahmer's um, challenge, and because Riddell, we aren't just sitting on our podcast complaining. We are trying to take action, and we are. Switching it up every week, we are calling the – there's that um, congressional hotline, but the call always gets dropped, so I don't even use it anymore. I just go to the email, and we go Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, and we're writing, we're writing letters. We never hear anything back, and it's not really going anywhere, but we're going to keep doing it. So last week, we all wrote Raphael Warnock, and he is, on, he is on the Senate Committee of Aging, and they just held a guardianship hearing back in March, and we appreciated that. So we're writing that they would please uh, hold another hearing. This week we are going to do, he is in the House of Representatives and his name, he's a Republican because now it's the Republican term. And his name is Tim Jordan and he's out of Ohio. He is the chairman of the Committee of Judiciary. He also has a subcommittee on weaponization of the federal government. So this week's letter is to go to Jim Jordan of Ohio. Good luck, everyone, and thanks for writing those letters. Hopefully, we're going to make a difference. And with the last few minutes that we have, um, Riddell, please tell the audience about your amazing podcast. You do so many hardcore topics, and I hope that this is going to be one that you're going to also add, but just please let everyone know how amazing it is and how they can follow you. Uh, Yeah, of course. So, Again, my name is Rodell Lewis. Um, I run a podcast. It's called The Purple Political Breakdown. Um, as you said earlier, we focus on political, social, cultural solutions to the biggest and most controversial issues, most specifically going on in America, but we tend, uh, we do branch out depending on the topic that is being discussed. And the important thing to note for my podcast is that this is trying to not focus on the political biases uh, we don't care if you're Democrat, uh, conservative, Republican, left, right. It doesn't really matter to me. I just care about the solutions. And I think a lot of that kind of political bias and affiliation gets in the way. So we definitely dive into that regardless of what side you're on and focus on the logical facts and the stats and the issues going on. And you can find me all all these different platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, uh, or you can just go to my website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. Episodes drop every Monday, soon to be Thursday, but every Monday, 8 a.m. EST. You can listen to the newest podcast episode that comes out where we talk about whatever talk, topic we're talking about. Uh, next one that's coming out next Monday, we'll be talking about uh, the political divide, where it comes from, and how we can start establishing values regardless of politics and religion. I have a quick question. Did we say anything that would inspire you about a future show that you're going to be doing? I am definitely interested in diving into this topic uh, for the future. 
Um, I, I do think there's important conversations, important solutions that can be found regarding this issue. So I will have this a topic for the future for sure. And I do think there's other topics that kind of uh, can tangent from this, uh, the premise that even not only involves elderly people, because I do think there's other groups that don't get talked about enough, and that's very similar to this kind of discussion, which is just like other people that have mental illness that is not the ones that is highlighted on media that are also taken advantage of or um, yeah. other kind of groups. You know, I won't go into it right now, but this just kind of highlights that there's more than what the media is showing you in terms of issues going on, and this is just one example of it. Well, we're so thankful that you came on. I hope you enjoyed your time. I want to let everyone know that these shows are brought to you by Marcel Reed and Whistleblower Summit. We'll be doing the Whistleblower Summit, talking about guardianship abuse in the end of July. We're also brought to you by NASGA, National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse, ASGA, Australian Association to Stop Guardianship and Administrative Abuse, and Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page. Don't we have some fun sponsors, Riddell? Yes, you definitely do. (laughs) And next week we are going to be hosting Marcia Southwick of NASCA, and she actually has some really exciting announcements. NASCA actually works on passing bills, writing bills, and they work on that process. And because we, we don't all just, like, complain, we actually try and take action. So I am the let. I am the legislation liaison for Pennsylvania and the state of Wisconsin with NASCA, and I'm very proud to have that position. And they're the ones who introduced me to the beautiful Marty Oakley and what, who got me involved in this show. And so we do try and make policy change. And Marcia Southwick has a really, really big announcement to make next week, so we're going to be so excited to have her on here talking about this great announcement because they are trying to get these laws changed. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Riddell, thank you so much for coming on. Riddell is such a big deal, and I am so honored that you came here. I hope that we were able to educate you um, thoroughly on this problem, and I look forward to your audience hoping to find solutions and to become aware about the problems that are going on. Thank you, and everyone, good night. Good night. Good night.